0: All right, so last week, uh, we focused on how rest is a way that we can overcome the idol of work in our lives. We're often proud of how much our work is wearing us out and how hard our lives are because of our work. But we weren't made for that. And in fact, it's not a good thing to wear yourself into a nub to tell yourself that you're not lazy. Instead, we saw how work is a good gift of God, which helps us to flourish when it's in its right place. It allows us to participate in the work of God and bring us closer to him. But every good thing becomes a terrible thing when it is put in the place of God. Now, let's remember the context of when this commandment in the Ten Commandments, the commandment to honor the Sabbath, uh, came. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and they were treated very harshly. Now, today, we know that slavery is bad, but we don't often discuss why it's bad. And there's a couple of reasons. Now, the first one is that slavery is a system which is rife for abuse and evil. Um, The Egyptians, for instance, knew in, in that story that the Israelites were becoming too numerous. If the Israelite population grew too large, then there would be trouble. They could revolt and overthrow the ruling Egyptians. Now, this was a pretty common way that slaveholders actually kept control of their slaves throughout history, whether from Egypt or Rome or Sparta to the American South. It's a little bit counterintuitive, but the theory is that the harder you work your slaves, the less likely they are to rebel against you. The more cruelly you treat them, the less likely they are to revolt. The reason is that if they spend all their time thinking about how they're going to get through the next task to the next day, they won't ever have time to think about dangerous ideas like freedom. There's a time-tested strategy. If it looks like your slaves might revolt, make them work harder so that they don't have time to think about it. Now, second, slavery is dehumanizing. The inability to own property or take care of yourself means that you are totally dependent on your master to survive. Being able to take care of yourself is a fundamental part of what it means to be human. In multiple places in the Old Testament, it describes, and included in this passage in Micah, it describes prosperity and peace as a time where every person sits under his own fig tree. In other words, they're given the ability to own their own property and to take care of themselves. It's a fundamentally dignifying thing to be able to take care of your own little corner of the universe for yourself, and to use that to feed and care for yourself and your family. Humans were made to sit under their own vine and their own fig tree, and it's dehumanizing to intentionally keep people from doing that through slavery. And then finally, slavery turns people into machines. To the slaveholder, a slave is a little more than a fairly complex machine that does his work for him. For the Egyptians, the slave was a machine that turns mud and straw into bricks. For the American South, the slave was a machine that harvests their cotton crops. The difference between a human and machine is then very, very small. You don't need to care for the spiritual health and dignity of your dishwasher. So why would you need to do that for your slave? It's small wonder that slavery finally began to be abolished when the Industrial Revolution arrived and machines became complex enough that slavery was no longer useful. But humans should never have been treated as machines. Obviously, a good slave is one that gets his work done without causing much of a fuss, just like a good washing machine gets your clothes clean without causing many issues. We can all see that a good person means something different entirely. A good person means something so much more than that. So of course, you might be wondering why I'm explaining why slavery is so wrong. We all agree on that, don't we? But it's important because it illustrates a few important principles. Now, first it says that how we do economics, how we run a business, how we act as employees, how we hire people, they all have profound spiritual impacts. The, re- the reason that slavery is wrong isn't because it's bad for the economy or it reduces GDP or that you make less money as a slave. There's no material reasons why slavery is wrong. The reason is it's a spiritual one. It's spiritually evil. It's dehumanizing. It turns people into machines, and it's ripe for exploitation. These are all spiritual objections to slavery. Now, these are all objections objections we agree with, but this is something that is very rarely mentioned when we talk about economics. How we deal with money forms us as people, and it impacts how we love and serve our neighbors. It impacts our relationship with God. We all agree on this, whether we know it or not. Look through the Old Testament prophets and the word of Jesus, and you'll see that an incredible amount of what they say is about money. They get really mad that some people are ripping some people off, off, or that people are spending their whole lives hoarding money instead of taking care of the people they love. Spending enough time in the Bible and you'll see that God really does have a lot to say about money. Now, that can be scandalous for us because we have a tendency to departmentalize our lives. We have a tendency to think that the Bible has one area in our life and economics has a completely different area. There's your spiritual life and your economic life. But we all recognize, if we remember why slavery is so wrong, that your economic life impacts your spiritual life. If you work full time and sleep for eight hours a day, you spend like half your life, half of your waking hours at work making money. Then you can probably say you spend about another 15% of your time figuring out how to spend your money. You can't spend half your life doing something without it impacting your soul and impacting who you really are deep down. It's half your life. Do you really think that the Bible would have nothing to say about half your life? For that reason, We need to be very intentional about the ways that we work and the ways that we spend money that form us as people. You can't spend half your life doing things that destroy your soul and then go to church for two hours a week and end up a happy, well-adjusted Christian. God has a better vision for what work looks like than that. Last week, we talked about how our work is a participation in God's creation. We have the privilege of working to bring order to creation And to create blessings for ourselves and others. God is like an enthusiastic master craftsman who just wants to share his work with us. He's constantly saying, Isn't this cool? Now do what I do. Of course, the Bible says that work can be toil and difficult and not fun, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing it wrong. If your work doesn't feel meaningful, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to quit. But it might mean that you need to spend more time preparing yourself spiritually to find meaning in your work. Maybe you need to pray every day before you go to the office. Or maybe you need to spend more time noticing how what you've done has made things better for people, or celebrating your work. Maybe it means getting in touch with the stuff that made you want to do your job in the first place. But whatever the case, your work really does intensely form you as a person and as a Christian. So we should be intentional about what our work does to us. We should adapt our attitudes to make work more meaningful. This is exactly what God was doing by commanding Israel to take a day off every week. Israel had been formed spiritually to be slaves by their former masters. All of their life was spent working or being made into easily controlled laborers. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, and this would have profound impacts on their mindset. Slavery is evil because it impacts your spirit when you're told that you're a machine whose entire purpose is to make bricks. Just like a machine, you're defined by nothing more than what you produce. Nobody cares about you. And that doesn't just change when you're freed. The effects of slavery don't wear off the moment you're no longer called a slave. You've been spiritually formed into a slave for decades. There are psychological tricks the masters play to make you okay with being a slave, and those tricks stick with you. Now, what Sabbath says to former slaves is that you are worth more than you what you produce. You're not a machine that turns clay into bricks. You're a proper, sacred person whose value never changes, no matter what stuff you make. And that's what it means to take a Sabbath day, whether you need it or not. You are worth far more than the sum total of the things you can do for people. The enjoyment you have every Sabbath is worth something in and of itself, not just as a means to an end. To consider the Sabbath just as a day that you rest so you can work harder on the other six days completely misses the point. You work for six days so that you can better enjoy the Sabbath You don't rest on the Sabbath so you can work better the other six days. Just like how God didn't rest on the seventh day so he could continue working the other six days. Now, this is something that I think that we all need to hear for ourselves. Especially if you're the kind of person that prides yourself on all the stuff you get done. You're worth far more than the stuff you do. Even the stuff you do for other people. You have a transcendent value which will continue to exist long after you die long after you stop being useful to people. In fact, that value persists even if you grow sick or get older and people start having to take care of you more than you take care of them. These are all things we kind of know in our heads. We often have a hard time living as if they were true. For example, a lot of the reason that I've had a hard time taking a Sabbath is because it means that I have too much of my self-worth tied up in achievement. I'll feel good about myself if I do a lot of really big things. But I can't do really big things if I'm resting on the Sabbath. There's a joke that says that a grad student is a machine that turns coffee into papers. (laughs) And there have been times when I've really treated myself like that. When I was in college, I felt a compulsion to take the maximum course load and get A's in every one of my classes, or I would feel really bad about myself. That would inevitably mean avoiding taking a Sabbath. I still struggle with this sometimes, feeling like I have to do all the classes and do all the work or I won't see myself as valuable. But planting the flag and saying that you will rest on the Sabbath is asserting that you're more valuable than the things you achieve. Degrees and awards, after all, are just pieces of paper, but I'm a flesh and blood human being made for a relationship with the creator of the heaven and earth. And yes, sometimes that means that you have to be satisfied with a B rather than an A+ but I don't think that I'm alone in this struggle, especially in this area with the highest median household income in the country. We have a lot of high-strung people who put a lot of their self-value in work. It's good to be ambitious and be excited to do great things, but none of that should make us lose sight of the fact that we are valuable outside of our work. In fact, practicing the Sabbath is a truly revolutionary act in a culture which is addicted to work. It's the church telling the world that the gospel is something far more to offer than the nine-to-nine grind. When people spend their entire lives treating themselves like machines, they should be able to come to our church and see a different kind of life at work here. It's the kind of life that's secure in its own value and relationship to God, which never changes from the womb to the tomb. I'm not saying that our situation is anywhere close to slavery, but there are powerful forces in our lives that form us into the kind of people who only value themselves for what we produce. for How many widgets we make at the factory, or how many papers we write, or how many hours we can put in at the office. God might be calling us, as he called the Israelites, to take the revolutionary step of intentionally taking a day off, maybe two days even. Even if our bosses get mad at us, because when we do that, we're asserting our own value as sons and daughters of God. We're saying we're worth far more than what we have produced, that life is meant to be enjoyed as a good gift of God, and that true fulfillment doesn't come from making six figures or getting straight A's, but from a right relationship with the God who created us to be his children. Now. One of the really interesting and distinct things that brethren have done since the beginning is focus on what they call simple living. And what this means is actually really simple, Um, pun not intended. Um, It just says that you don't try and live outside of your means. You make sure that you make enough money for what you need and don't worry too much about the other stuff. You really don't need the absolute newest iPhone if it means you have to pay a lot more for it. You don't need the name brand clothes just so that everyone can see that you have them. That 100-inch TV isn't totally necessary if the 50-inch one does just fine. Paul says in 1 Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare and to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Buying a bunch of stuff and getting jealous of people who have more than you is a perfect path towards pain. You give up all your time to get stuff, and when you get the stuff, you're no happier than before. You're never truly satisfied anyway. There's always more to have, more to experience. Meanwhile, your happiest moments probably came from things you didn't have to pay a dime for, Think about how nice it would be just to learn to be satisfied, like Paul says here, with what it takes to survive. To sit under your own vine and your own fig tree and know that you have enough. Why work yourself to de- death to get some more consumer goods when the things that really make you happy are cheap potlucks and throwing around a $10 football? The crazy secret about not spending money on stuff is that you don't need, that doesn't mean that you don't need to work as much. And another reason we focus on simple living is that you have more money to give away. Just like the money, just like the way you work spiritually forms you, the way you spend or give money spiritually forms you. Every time we give an offering, there's an opportunity to say to the powerful spiritual forces in this world that you're loyal to King Jesus and not to dollars and cents. There's an opportunity to express the gratitude to God that cleanses your soul. We don't just do it to keep the lights on. We do it because we're being conformed to the image of Christ by giving away our money and time, just like Christ gave his away. So Sabbath and taking a day off is also a celebration of the world that's coming. In working six days and taking the seventh day off, we carry on a tradition that began even before sin entered the world. It's a reminder that this world was made to be good, and it will be, we will be redeemed and set right one day. For six days out of seven, we work to stem the effects of sin on this world. We farm and get rid of weeds, we make sure that people are fed, and we bring order out of the chaos that sin creates. But on the seventh day, we have the opportunity to pretend that the world has already been set right, and that we're living in the world as it's meant to be. We enjoy the love of God and of friends and family, and we experience the goodness of God's creation, and we take a break from the work of saying this world right. Now, this is an extremely important part of maintaining our Christian hope. Without it, it would be easy to think that this world and all the evils we face is all there is to life, that we really are machines that turn food and sleep into work. But the Sabbath lets us have a foretaste of the new heavens and new earth right here, what that means is that you can be inspired by a vision of what real life, as it was always meant to be, really looks like. And using that, you can be propelled with all the more strength and courage to work the other six days. Because you don't lose sight of the goal, which is all of creation's being set right, and truth and justice prevailing on earth. And you don't lose sight of the hope that makes all your work worth it. Let's pray. Great God, you are making all things new. Help us to see our work as a participation in your new creation, even now, so that the world would be blessed forever. Amen.